church. You may be seated. My name is Luke, one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel. We're so grateful that you're with us this morning. That song, Heart of Worship, takes me back. Any like millennial, 90 kids, just raise your hand, laugh, clap. If you can relate, please don't leave me stranded, but that takes me straight back. Whoa, whoa, we're not there yet, not there. Hey, just hang on, hang on. It takes me straight back to, to Friday night at church camp. I've got my Doc Martens on, and I've got my Giorgio Armani cologne on. Anybody else? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about. Friday night at church camp, that song breaks out. Woo! Spirit of God is moving. I'm glad you're here. This is week two of a sermon series called The Ten. And we're going to be looking at commandment number two this morning. Before we do, let's rehash last week. A lot, a lot took place last week. Last week, we, we introduced how, how Jesus changes everything. And in and through Jesus, those lenses in which we are to look at the law, he changes everything. We looked at the New Testament. We saw in the book of Romans where Paul says that, that Jesus did what the law could not do. In him, we have salvation. The law could not save. Why is that a big deal for you and I this morning? That if we were to only look at the law without Jesus, we'll look at the law and we'll realize that I could never measure up and there's no reason for me to be here, that I'm a sinner and that, I, I, that there's no point. But in and through Jesus, he brings salvation. He does what the law could not do. He saves us and he changes us. That now we can look at the law, we can examine the law through the lenses of Christ. And then last week we set up commandment number one, where God says, worship only me. I'm it. And on the screen, if you remember last week, we, we had that question. If I didn't have this, would I, would I still love God? And we said, man, let, let's look at our hearts and let's examine what's going on in there. And if there's anything that takes the view of God, we, we've got to get rid of it. It's got to go. It's got to go. So this week, we're going to look at commandment number two. And if you missed last week, you'll know that we set up this couch mentality that that God says to the nation of Israel, as he is giving them the law, he says, go sit on the couch. I'm going to talk to you as your father. I'm going to give you some instruction that are for your benefit. Not to be mean, not to be cruel, but I'm going to give you these instructions for your own good. So if you'll bear with me, go to Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to sit on the couch because God is talking to us today. Go to Exodus chapter 20 where we're going to look at... The second law, the second commandment that God gives his children. We'll start in verse 4. He says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Listen, moms and dads, don't get derailed by this right here, right now. We're going to talk more about this in a few weeks. But mom and dads, hear me out. You need to obey God if you want your children to obey God. 
What God is saying is if you abandon me, your children will abandon me. And their children will abandon me. And their children will abandon me. It's serious business. Verse 6. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. The second law has been given. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, they, the first and the second, they sound a whole lot alike. Like, well, what's, what's the difference between the first and the second? Here's how I want you to think about the first. The first deals with who we should worship. God says, worship only me. The second deals with how we should worship. So the first, who we should worship? God. And the second one, this is what he's saying to his children. Worship me the right way. Way. If you see in those instructions, it says don't, don't create anything else. Don't, don't make idols for yourself. Don't bow down to them. Don't worship them. So God is giving his children some instruction on how to worship. He, he's lining it out for them, what he wants of them. So here's how I want you to, to capture the second commandment. Now in and through the lenses of Jesus, he says, worship me the right way. Worship God the right way. He outlines for the nation of Israel that they should not create anything to take his place. Go down a few chapters. I want you to go to Exodus 32. Exodus 32. We're going to look at 1 through 5. Exodus 32. It's 12 chapters, but it's only a few weeks. Here's what happens. It says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold and melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Verse 5 is critical. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. And if you were to keep on reading, you would see how this angered God immensely. Now you, much like me, when you read this, we, we give them a hard time, don't we? Goodness gracious, uh, they just heard from God speaking a cloud. And, and now just a few weeks have gone by and they've abandoned him all together. What's happening right here in this scenario is Moses goes back up on the mountain to receive the word from the Lord and, and they grow impatient. They, they're, they're like, we've got to have something in our worship, like we've got to worship something. Now let's look at context for a second. This is a big deal. What we need to understand about these particular people is they're coming out of slavery. They're coming out of Egypt. Everything you see in your history books about Egypt is what they were dealing with. Pyramids and gods and gold this and gold that. It's said that in the time that God's people were in slavery, there were roughly 1,500 different gods that the Egyptians would worship. 
So they're coming out of this scenario, used to everybody and everything, bowing down to this and worshiping that. And in this moment, as children of God, they became impatient and distracted. They felt like they needed, listen to me, they felt like they needed something else in their worship. Now what I want you to notice in verse 5, what Aaron did, Scripture says that in front of the calf, he built an altar to the Lord. Did y'all catch that? So we give them a hard time, say, well, they've completely abandoned God. No, no. No, Aaron right here, he builds an altar in, in front of the calf. He says, tomorrow is a day of the Lord. So what's going on here? They didn't abandon him altogether. They didn't forget about him. They just felt like they needed to add something else to worship. You might be scratching your head and go, how dare they? Church, I want to plead with you this morning that we, specifically in a corporate worship gathering, do the very same thing. In our impatience, we get distracted and we feel like we need to add something else to our worship. There's going to be a phrase on the screen, much like it was last week. And here's how it reads, if only blank, then I could worship God. It's an if only statement. If only this, then I could worship God. I want to get real with us this morning, church. I just want you to keep looking at that phrase, mind me no attention. I'm going to have a seat. I'm coming into worship. It's a Sunday morning. Things are great. God is good. Here I am to worship. I'm going to sit by Daniel, and he is panicking right now. Don't look at me. Look at the screen. And here's how this plays out in our life as children of God. If only, if only they would play more hymns, then I could worship God. If only they would play you know, more, more modern worship songs, the things I hear on the radio, if only they would play those, then I feel like, man, I could really get into worship and I could worship God. My goodness, if, if only they would turn it down a little bit. I can't hear myself think. Then I could worship God. Goodness, I, I wish they would turn it up a little bit. I want to I hear the music. I want to I hear what's going on. Then I could worship God. If only, if, only, if only that pastor would, if he would just put on a suit every once in a while. My, that's funny. <laughs> You'll only see me in a suit twice if you're getting married or if I'm burying you. If only this, or if only that, then I could worship. If only they would stop playing songs that said the same thing over and over and over and over again. Here's what's happening. In, in, In heaven right now, there are cherubim and seraphim spinning around God the Father singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And guess what? They're singing that for eternity. If you don't like singing a song for five minutes, you're not going to like heaven. You're not. If only this, then I could worship. 
Here's what's happening. Here's what ha- happens with our if-only statements. We, we, we bring in all of this stuff, stuff that Satan uses to distract God's people. And here's my fear, that the people of God can come to worship, can show up here either at 9 or 10.30, sit through an hour and leave and never worship God. Because he has gotten you distracted by if-only statements. If only this, then I could worship. Satan has you right where he wants you. And God the Father in the second commandment is saying, worship me the right way. Worship me the right way. Everything I just said was not to make you mad, not not to single you out. We've all been there. Those are preferences. But here's the danger with preferences. If preferences for you turn into necessities, then those preferences turn into idols. And God the Father is saying, I will not tolerate my people bowing down and worshiping idols. Not going to tolerate it. He's saying, worship me the right way. So I didn't bring this up to anger you or to make you feel singled out. I brought these things up to show you how easy Satan can get God's people distracted. And if he can get you distracted, he can keep you from worshiping. There's going to be something on the screen. It says, worship is not about us. It's all about Jesus. I don't mean to burst your bubble this morning, but worship has never been about you. It's never been about me. It will never be about us. It's always been about Jesus. Amen, church? It's always been about him. And we, as his children, need to keep him at the center of our worship. And we need to worship him the right way. Listen to me. If we learn, this is big, if we learn how to worship God the right way, guess what? You can worship him on a bass boat. All the guys are like, come on, man. I know why I showed up this morning. If we learn how to worship God the right way, it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what season you're in. You can worship him. So how do we worship God the right way? Now we're on this side of history. We've got Jesus interceding on our behalf. Giving us the Spirit. How do we worship now the right way? I want you to turn to John chapter 4. I want to set up what's going on in John chapter 4 real real briefly. If you know what's happening here, it's the woman at the well. Many of you may, may know that story. You may be familiar with that story. I'll give you a little bit of background. The woman at the well was living a, a really ungodly life. We'll put it like that. And at the well, she encountered Jesus. And much like you and I, when we encounter Jesus, he changes our life. And her life was changed. So she enters into this dialogue with our Savior. And she's like, why why do Jews feel like they have to go go here into, into this area to worship? Why do the Samaritans feel like they have to go to that mountain to worship? Why all these rules? Like, why all these regulations? What's, what's this all about? 
And here's where we pick up in verse 21. John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father, listen to this church, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus clears things up for us. He cleared things up for her. He said, salvation is here. It's in me. And in me, everything changes. What we're seeing here is that Jesus starts to change the narrative of worship. He, he changes how worship takes place. He tells this woman, he's telling us that now in me, in Jesus, you can worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I'll be real honest with you, for a long time, this passage threw me for a loop. I'm like, what is Jesus saying here? You don't have to own it, but if I was betting, this trips a lot of us up. Like, what is Jesus talking about? What does this verse actually mean? I want to simplify this, this whole encounter for us this morning. And, and, and the, the, the simple phrase on the screen, I hope will help you understand this passage. It says, we worship God by giving him our mind's attention and our heart's affection. Remember that. We worship God by giving him our mind's attention and our heart's affection. That's the easiest way that I can describe this passage for you. We don't have to have any extras in our worship. Our minds have to be focused on him and our hearts have to connect with him. This is what Jesus does for us. So the, the, the first thing that I want you to write down, the first thing that I want you to remember is heart's affection. What am I talking about there? Right out to the side, spirit. Heart's affection, our spirit. This is our desire to love and connect with God in a spiritual way. If I'm being blunt, this is the area in which men struggle the most. We struggle. Because this is what I equate to that emotional connection with God. Our spirit's ability to connect with him. You may have had a rough week, and here's how this plays out. You come to worship, and man, Keaton throws you a bone. Your favorite song is played, and you can't help but become overwhelmed by emotion. Your spirit is connecting with God the Father. And listen to me, church. This may sound simple, but what's happening right here, I don't understand it. It's a mystery and it's a miracle, but I'm thankful for it. Are you, church? 
Our ability to connect with God the Father in the spiritual realm is a blessing that we have now post-Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm changing all of this. In and through me, you can connect with the Father in a spiritual way. What a blessing that is. I don't have to come in here. I don't have to make an altar. I don't have to sacrifice this. I don't have to do this or that. My heart can connect with God the Father. And that's a blessing. It's a miracle. Are you connecting with God the Father in that way? John 3 Verse 6 says this, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Let's talk about that for a second. If, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit. I need you to understand that. When you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And now we can connect with God the Father in a spiritual way. My heart can connect with His. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful, miraculous thing. Our hearts are able to connect and worship with God's. And many of us in here know exactly what that's like. It's really hard to describe. I don't think you can look that up in a dictionary and read how that is defined. But many in this room know exactly what that means to connect with God the Father in that spiritual way. It's a beautiful thing. And God is asking, remember what Jesus tells the woman at the well, the Father is, is looking for those that will worship him that way. So if you think you're too cool for school or too macho to do that, you're, you're, missing, you're missing worship. You need to connect with God the Father in that spiritual realm. It's a blessing. Philippians 3, verse 3 says this, For we who worship by the Spirit of God, are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. We do not have to have anything extra. You do not have to have your favorite song to connect with God. You can worship Him in spirit all the time. I, I put no confidence in, in human effort. I worship in and through the Spirit. It's a blessing. Are you connecting with the Father in that way? If you are, you are saying in your worship that, God, you're enough. I don't have to have anything extra. I don't have to have the bells. I don't have the whistles. I just need you. You're saying, God, you're enough. And I'm going to connect with you in the way that you desire. The second way to describe this passage is mind's attention, truth. I want you to write that down. Mind's attention equals truth. What are we talking about here? What he means is that we worship when our minds are focused on the words and works of Jesus Christ. John 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way. What church? 
the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Our worship so many times can be shallow and cheap. Did y'all hear that? Our worship so many times can be shallow and cheap because our minds are not focused on the truth. I'm going to take it a step further. Our, our worship is shallow and cheapened because our minds aren't on the truth simply because we don't know the truth. We don't know what the Word of God says. We can't dwell on it. We can't worship in and through the truth of God's Word because we don't know it. And we get sucked into cheapened gospel messages and fake shallow worship because we don't know what the Word of God says. So our minds can't be focused on it because we don't know it. Jesus says, I'm truth. Worship in spirit and in truth. Do you know God's word? Do you value God's word? Do you trust God's word? Listen to me. In the day in which we live, our world is hungry for truth. We are people of truth. We worship truth, but we can't if we don't know it. So big question for you this morning. God is asking his children to worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you know truth? We can worship him when our minds are focused on sound doctrine and the truths found in Scripture. We can worship him. But here's what happens in a worship scenario. He uses all of the if-only statements. Everything that is, is able to distract you, Satan will use it to distract you, to keep your mind from being focused on the truth. You should be able to worship truth regardless of who's presenting truth. It could be Billy Graham up here. I'm going to worship because truth is being proclaimed. It could be an intern preaching his first sermon ever. You should be able to celebrate and worship because the gospel is being celebrated. It doesn't matter as long as the gospel is being lifted high. As long as truth is being proclaimed, you should be able to worship. Because you found such value in the Word of God, you can worship when it's proclaimed. Can you worship God in truth? Yes, that's our aptitude. That's, that's our mind being able to rest on the truths of God's Word. Do you worship Him that way? Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Where our minds go dictates our worship. Are you constantly distracted when the word of God is being read or proclaimed? Are you, are you using every if only statement you can think of? Are you able to worship him in truth? Now what Jesus does by sharing this with the woman at the well teaches us that we can worship him in 
any circumstance, any time of the day, any day of the week, if we connect with the Father in spirit and in truth. So let me run down some scenarios with you to show you how this may play out because I want you to really understand the privilege that we have on this side of history where you can truly worship God at any time. Tell me if this scenario doesn't play out for you. Monday morning is coming. How many of you are excited for Monday morning? If your boss is in the room, you're like, I can't wait. But man, Monday, Monday mornings are special, aren't they? They're just tough. You might have rushed to get the kids ready out the door. I know the struggle. Your morning's frazzled, running late. You get in the car, you turn on the radio. Not 94.1, but you turn on some worship tunes. And you start worshiping the Lord. You start to connect with him in that spiritual way. It does something to you. Does it not, church? Give me something. Amen? That's a Monday morning, and you're worshiping in your vehicle. Thank you, Jesus. Or how about this scenario? Thursday comes. It's been a really long week. The kids have just lost their mind every single day of the week. Not only that, you're a teacher. You get a double dose. Got some teachers in the room. You know what I'm talking about. Thursday comes. It's been a long week. You're tired. You're on thin ice. You come home. You make sure everybody's fed. Make sure the house is picked up. And the first time that you're able to sit down, I'm talking to mamas. Guys, you ain't figured that out yet? And the first time you're able to sit down is at 11 o'clock at night. And you take a deep breath. The Spirit of God prompts you. You open up your phone. And you start reading from the Word of God. And something happens in that moment. You're able to connect with God the Father. You become overwhelmed by how good He is to you. And how his word is true when it says he restoreth my soul. You can worship. Or maybe it's a Tuesday afternoon at 1.13, some arbitrary time. Your phone rings. And it's bad news. Maybe a loved one got an unfavorable diagnosis. Or maybe there has even been a loss of life. And in that moment, you might be at your desk. You may be teaching a class. You may be crunching numbers. But in that moment, you're able to stop, pray, and connect with God the Father. That's worship. What a privilege we have in Jesus to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth Sunday morning 10:30 absolutely Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday and even on a Saturday you can worship God 
because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. You can worship him. There is no law, there is no regulation, there is no mountain to climb. You can worship him. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the law. Thank you for the reading of your word. And how we looked at the second one. And you were very serious. You even say that you will not tolerate us bowing down and worshiping anything other than you. Help us to take that to heart, God. That if we are bringing any if-only statements into this corporate gathering or into our personal worship, that we would discard it that we would realize that those are the very things that Satan is using to trip us up and to keep us distracted. They're keeping our minds from focusing on you. They're keeping our hearts from connecting with you. Help us, Lord, to deal with it. And be with us as your church as we seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. What a privilege we have to be able to connect with you in that spiritual realm because we've been changed by the Spirit of God. And what a privilege we have to have the completed truth called your holy word that our minds can rest on. Help us to celebrate and worship every time the word of God is proclaimed, every time the word of God is read, every time the word of God is cherished. God, help us to worship. Help us to worship you the right way. Thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. For he truly does change everything about our worship. Thank you for loving us enough to send him to die on a cross so that we could have forgiveness of sin. Thank you, God, for Jesus. We ask everything in his precious and holy name. Amen.